You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk Church? How's everybody doing today? That's awesome. So good to see you guys and to be with you. Thank you to everyone Um, who is online with us today. I am just excited about everything that God is doing here um, and and what he is continuing to do and what we have to look forward to um, in this coming year as we, it's hard to believe it's, it's, um, almost to the end of February already. Like we're, you know, it's crazy how, how quickly the time is flying, but, um, kicking off a new series today. So if you've got your Bibles or a smart device I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me. We're going to be this morning in the New Testament um, in the Gospel of Mark. In case you're unfamiliar, the Bible's divided up into two uh, larger chunks. We've got the Old Testament at the front and the New Testament towards the end. And the New Testament, uh, the first four books of that second chunk of Scripture, the New Testament, uh, are called the Gospels. And we call them the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books in particular are such good news is because they tell of the life and the teachings of Jesus specifically. And so we're going to land in the second gospel, uh, the gospel of Mark. And we're going to be in chapter 10 and we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, I can remember um, in my mind's eye when I think back, I can remember the day that I laid eyes on my wife for the very first time. It was one evening in the summer of 2003 in a little town by the name of Rogersville, Tennessee. Uh, Just after graduating from college, uh, I had um, received a a position as a youth pastor at a small church there in Rogersville. And uh, my wife, Sarah, her sister, Lisa, and Lisa's family attended that church. And Lisa was volunteering that summer Um, in our vacation Bible school. And on this particular evening, the other leader that was volunteering alongside Lisa in the environment that she was leading was was unable to serve, was unable to be there. And so Lisa had enlisted the help of her sister, Sarah, to fill in for that night. And I remember looking up and across the room as Sarah walked into the fellowship hall that was situated in the basement of the church that evening, and it was one of those moments where time stood still. You've experienced something like that before, and beams of light cast a radiant glow out from, you know, coming out from behind Sarah, and it looked like she was on one of those supermodel photo shoots. Even though we were indoors, her hair was blowing ever so gently in the breeze. Some doves flew over. It was an amazing thing. I can still remember what she was wearing and exactly um, the moment to, you know, down to a T. And I asked someone nearby, I said, hey, who is that girl over there? And they responded with something like, oh, that's Lisa Lindsay's sister, Sarah. Why? And I said something like, because I'm going to marry that girl. Now, in full transparency, um, I had a girlfriend at the time (laughs) that all of this transpired. But as they say, whoever they are, when you know, you know. And here we are, 20 years later almost, with two beautiful children, 
an adorable puppy, and we're leading a church together on Amelia Island. I'm expecting Hallmark to buy the rights to the story <laughs> and make a movie at any moment. Why they haven't yet is beyond me. Uh, maybe you have a story like that. Maybe you've already found your one. Maybe, maybe you've been married to your one for 40 years. Or maybe you're wondering if the date you had last week on Valentine's Day could possibly be your one. Maybe you've been spending time with a two-thirds hoping that they may eventually turn into your one no elbow nudging or pointing fingers, please. Maybe your one is still proving to be elusive, but you're hard at work on the search. Maybe you're still in the stage where the opposite sex is weird and awkward and gross, and your quest to find your one hasn't even popped up on your radar yet. But if you can identify with any of those scenarios or something close, then this new series is for you. You know, when you, when you think about it, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to find our one. And we put even more pressure on other people to be our one. And maybe some of you even have a, a list of, of uh, all the criteria, all the prerequisites that somebody would have to meet before they could even be considered the possibility of becoming your one. But rather than, than focus all of the attention outward, and project a, a, a list of potentially unrealistic expectations onto others, over the next few weeks, instead, we're going to turn our attention inward. And rather than consuming ourselves with finding the one, for us, we're going to consider what we can do to ensure that we are first the one that God has called us to be, so that we can be the one for that other person. And that's what this series is all about. In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, there's an oft-read passage that we're going to be using as our backdrop for this series. And it lays out the design for marriage and the responsibilities of both the husband and the wife inside of that relationship. And it reads this way, Ephesians 5, it's 21 through 33. Today we're going to kind of focus in here on, on a part of that. And, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be working through the, the whole of this, of this passage. But Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, Paul says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Now we're going to put verse 31 right up here. 
Um, it says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, Paul's reference here in verse 31 is actually taken from the second chapter of Genesis, which I'm going to read you um, a, a, a bit about that as well. I'm going to read a little bit more than what's going to be on the screen. But um, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, 18 through 24, many of you will recognize this is part of the creation narrative um, in the beginning of the Bible. Then the Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper that was just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took, one, or took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Verse 22 of Genesis 2 says, Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And when we talk about that, that incredible creation, um, I love the, the, this quote from Matthew Henry um, when he's talking about uh, when woman was made out of man. It's, it's beautiful. Maybe you've heard this in a wedding ceremony. Uh, it's one of my favorite quotes to use when I get to marry a couple. It says that she was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And Jesus actually references these passages, this passage of Scripture in Genesis 2 that we, we see Paul echoing in, in Ephesians 5, talking about this creation of woman and, and this marriage relationship. Jesus references this in, in Mark chapter 10. And you've turned there um, or swiped there with me hopefully by now. Um, Mark 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. It says, Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. And once again, crowds gathered around him. And as usual, he was teaching them. And some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Verse 3, Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say in his law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. Verse 6, but God made them male and female. 
from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one, into one. And now Jesus adds something to this. He says, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. When we're talking about becoming the one that God has called us to be, to, to be the one for our one, there's some things that we have to understand about marriage and about what that relationship is all about. And so if you're taking notes this morning, perhaps you want to write this down. The first thing that we need to understand about marriage is that because God created marriage, he gets to decide the terms. Because God created marriage, he gets to decide the terms. Marriage and that relationship, it was not something that man came up with. It was something that was instituted by God from the very beginning. And, and so because God created it, he gets to decide how it's going to play out. And in fact, God uses an equation, and I would encourage you to, to write this down, maybe take a picture of the screen or whatever, because this is what we're going to be building off of for the remainder of this series. God's marriage equation is this right here. It's one man plus one woman plus one flesh plus one lifetime. That's marriage defined as biblically as I can possibly get it. Marriage is one man and one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. That is God's design. And, and this design, when, when God initiated this relationship, it wasn't just random by nature. No, there was, there was a lot of purpose, a lot of thought, a lot of intention placed into it. And in fact, we, we see as we look over the scriptures... And we see different stories and different examples of, of marriage playing out and starting here in Genesis and then what Jesus said in the Gospels and what Paul wrote in his letters and then in other places, we see that there's really four primary purposes of marriage, that, that marriage, that relationship, that it's on purpose. And the first one of these purposes is that, that marriage provided suitable companionship for Adam. See, God was looking for a helper that was right for Adam. And, and so he created all of these animals and birds and fish and everything. And he brought them to him. But none of them seemed to meet Adam's needs. None of them seemed to fill the void that he had in his soul, in his heart, in his life. And as, as cute as our puppies are, and I can attest because we have the cutest one. And I'll fight anybody who says otherwise. As cute as our puppies are, like they just can't take it all the way. There, there's, there's a point in time where, where they fall short in terms of the relationship that they're able to bring us. And so the animals couldn't cut it. And, and another man was brought, it, had another man been brought to Adam, he could have only provided him with brotherly love. But with the woman, it was different. With the woman, Adam was able to experience a deeper kind of intimacy than he could with a man. In fact, the Bible says that man and woman were naked and they felt no shame and all the people said, 
See, God created male and female bodies and souls to complement each other in such a way that they're able to become one flesh within the boundary of the marriage relationship. So the first purpose was to provide a suitable companionship for Adam. The second purpose of marriage was to establish a God-given right to enjoy sex and have children. In fact, in Genesis 1.28, God's very first instructions, when both man and woman had been created, God's very first instructions were to be fruitful and multiply. Y'all know what that means. This is what sets the marriage relationship apart from all other relationships. Because by God's design, it was through the marriage relationship that this would be the only, this would be the only relationship where we would have that kind of intimacy, where there would be uh, uh, that kind of uh, intimacy from a, from a sexual standpoint. Okay, it's the only relationship, according to God's design, that it should be that way. So, first, it provides suitable companionship for Adam. Second, the purpose of marriage is to establish a God-given right to enjoy sex and have children. Third, the marriage relationship was purposeful by encouraging self-control. God created sex, and he gave each of us a sexual desire. And so, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the desires and the urges and everything that we feel. We, 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 those have been placed inside of us by God for a reason and for a purpose to be fulfilled through the marriage relationship. And it's, it's this relationship that allows us to fulfill those desires while still maintaining holiness and righteousness. See, that's key right there because outside of that boundary, it doesn't allow us to maintain our holiness and righteousness. We still have those desires, but if we act on them, it's sinful. But inside the boundary of the marriage relationship, it allows us to keep our holiness and righteousness intact. And then the fourth purpose of marriage is to illustrate the loving and intimate relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Woman was created from the body of man and was given to him as a wife. And for those of us who believe on Jesus as Savior, the church is the body of Christ. And we've been set apart as his bride to be received unto him upon the day of his return for us. And so by God's design, the marriage relationship is complete in that it is a civil relationship regulated by law, an emotional relationship motivated by love, a physical relationship fulfilled by sexual intercourse, and a spiritual relationship governed by the word of God. And somehow, you and I managed to take this beautiful, perfect, holy union established by the God of the universe and just blow it to smithereens. Consider verse 2 from our passage in Mark. Here we have the Pharisees who, they were the religious leaders of Jesus' time, the, the religious elite of all the elite. And they're asking him about divorce. They're coming to Jesus and their questions are, how can we get out of this thing? Like, why is it, what is it about us that we're always looking for the loophole, right? 
We're, we're always looking for how can, how can what we can get away with and, and still technically be okay or be in the right. Like, what's the easiest way to make sure that my needs get met and that I get mine? Or how can I get what I want without having to do the hard, the dirty work to get outside of my comfort zone in order to be able to receive it? That's ultimately what they were asking. And it turns out that, that this wasn't just a problem then. In fact, it's still a problem for us today over 2,000 years later. I did a little bit of research. In the United States of America, there is one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. That's nearly 2,400 divorces per day, 16,800 divorces per week, and over 876,000 divorces a year. The divorce rate in America for a first marriage is around 41%. A second marriage is 60% and 73% for a third marriage. Cumulatively, one in four families in our country will face divorce. The average length of a first marriage is only 8.2 years. And the divorce rate for couples over 65 years old, people that have been in this for a while, the divorce rate for couples over 65, year old, 65 years old has doubled since 1980. And when we look at the bigger picture of all of these stats, we actually find something really interesting. We find that the divorce rate... Despite these alarming stats, the divorce rate in America since 1980 is actually on the decline. And at first glance, it would appear that that's a good thing and that we're winning. But when you dig a little bit deeper, we discover that the reason this is the case is because the number of couples, particularly amongst millennials that is choosing to forego marriage and instead choose to cohabitate is on the rise. And so, so basically what we're seeing is an entire generation who's looking at the previous 40 years of history before them and said, ain't no way I want any part of that because y'all couldn't clearly get it right. And so I'm going to forge my own path and go in my own direction. And once again, we've perpetuated the cycle. Because the generations previous have been unable to provide positive role models of faithful commitment to God and his word. Because even within the church, divorce rates are just as bad inside of it as they are out of it. And so we're seeing that people in relationship with Jesus Christ, that it's not even making a difference for them. And that they can't even model and maintain what it looks like to be faithful to God and his word. And, and so that's allowed moral compromise to creep in. Because let's be honest, we've all allowed this to happen on our watch. It's taken place under, under our noses, and, and, and then we started to accept different things and, and let other things creep in where previously or, or where it had no business belonging. And, and, and what we've come to discover is this cycle is that what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces as normal. And that's where we find ourselves today. Here's the, more alar uh, the even more alarming part. 
when it comes to this trend, studies show that rather than improve the numbers, the cohabitation breakup rate is even higher than the divorce rate. There's a 20% chance of a first marriage resulting in divorce within the first five years. In comparison, couples who cohabit for five years have a 49% chance of separating within that time frame. Similarly, married couples have a 33% chance of getting a divorce within the first 10 years, while cohabiting couples have a 62% chance of splitting up in this lifetime. And it gets even worse. I wanted everybody to just be filled full of joy and hope today. (laughs) I'm just trying to paint the reality of what we're dealing with. To top it all off, according to the Institute for Divorce, the number one reason for divorce in America is, quote-unquote, basic incompatibility. 43% of research participants cited this reason as their primary decision to get a divorce. Here's the definition of incompatibility. It's the condition of two things being so different in nature as to be incapable of coexisting. So as a result of that, we hear people say things like, this marriage just isn't working for me anymore. But that's backward. The truth is, you're just not working for your marriage anymore, and you're seeking to take the easiest way out, and that's what's gotten us in the pickle that we are in in this country today. God created marriage, therefore he defines the parameters. Number two, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. If we're going to be the one for our one, we've got to come to a full understanding that, that this marriage relationship, it is by God's design, so he gets to determine how it's going to go. And God has said that our marriages, that they're going to be a covenant, not a contract. Here's the difference. A covenant is something that is based on commitment and choice. A covenant is an agreement that's based on commitment and choice. But a contract is an agreement that's based on convenience and conditions. Convenience and conditions. We live in a low commitment culture. We see this all the time. Maybe it's something that we even practice in our own lives, that we're committed to something up until a better option comes along. Consider the cultural norm for dating in America. It's really less like learning about covenantal commitment and more like learning how to get a divorce. Like, I'm going to date you and become close to you. Maybe I'll even sleep with you. Until you do something that I don't like or until I find someone better. They're prettier, they're wealthier, they're whatever. And then I'm going to dump you and move on to them and start this cycle over again. The problem is that the vast majority of people, even those within the church, have come to view this as perfectly normal and no big deal. This kind of behavior. And so what, what's happening is, is we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure from the beginning by buying into the lie that love is conditional. I will love you until 
fill in the blank. I'll love you until you get fat. Or I will love you until you go bald. I hope not, honey. <laughs> because I am well on my way. I will love you if you buy me nice things. Or I will love you if you don't turn me down for sex. I'll love you as long as you make a lot of money. Or I'll love you as long as you do whatever I say and allow me to control you. And then when you don't meet the criteria or the expectations, I'll just go out and find someone else who does. Until they don't. And then the cycle continues. When Sarah and I first got married, we would have a conversation um, on the regular that would just frustrate her to no end. And it, it went something like this. I would look her deeply into her eyes and, and I would tell her, honey, I love you. And being newlyweds and everything, and you know, she was into the romance and everything. She would look back at me and she would say, why? Because she's wanting me to list all of the reasons of which there are many. And I would with as much resolve as I could muster, say the most romantic thing that I could possibly say to her. And I'd look her back in the eye and say, because I choose to. Because I choose to. Gosh, that made her mad. <laughs> That's not what she was looking for. But that was the greatest reason that I could come up with. Because at the end of the day, when all of those other things cease to exist, when, when all of the other conditions change, and when things become different, the thing that was going to carry our love forward is the fact that I'm actively choosing to love you. Actively choosing to love you. The truth is, we are all sinful and depraved beings. Every single one of us. And sometimes... Maybe a lot of the time, we're just not easy to love. But love is more than a feeling of butterflies in your tummy and tingling in your toes. It's an active and intentional ongoing choice. And our love for our spouse should come from the overflow of our love for and our pursuit of our Heavenly Father. So if, if you're single in the room this morning, let me share this quote from Pastor David McQueen. He says, run after God as fast as you can. And when you're ready to get married, look around and see who is running with you. That's the truth right there, young people or old people who aren't married yet. Still looking for your one. It, it all comes back to me, uh, for me to... This, this image, um, I recently at our marriage conference heard it called the isosceles of intimacy. I just said triangle. That's what I've called it before. Um, someone much smarter than me said it was the isosceles of intimacy. And so, so what, what happens here is, is that, that this, is, this is the relationship. This is a, a marriage relationship or, or perhaps it's a dating relationship and you would replace husband and wife with dater and datey or, or whatever. A boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. And, and what we see is that, that the, the closer that we get to God, 
there's a natural thing that happens. It, it brings the, the two of us closer together. The, the closer that husband and wife get to God, the closer they get to each other. And, and what, this, what this proves is that that pursuit of your spouse doesn't guarantee you to get any closer to God. But if you both prioritize your pursuit of God, there's a 100% guarantee that you're going to get closer to your spouse. That's how the marriage relationship was meant to work. That, that yes, we pursue each other, but we pursue each other by pursuing God first. That he's first place. It's not our spouse. It's not our kids. It's, it's, it's God is first. And as we pursue him first, the natural byproduct of that is that we grow closer with each other. Sheila Ray uh, Gregor says it this way. I love this quote. She says, I hope when people look at my marriage, they don't think she has a great marriage because she chose the right guy or he has a great marriage because he chose the right woman. I hope they realize they have a great marriage because they both chose God. That's what it's about. We will have a great marriage if we both choose God and put him first. The Bible talks about this in Ecclesiastes Chapter 4, verse 12, it says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. It's you and your spouse with God right there at the center. And that is what is going to hold that relationship together. Here's something somebody needs to hear this morning. If he isn't 100% committed to Christ, he'll never be able to 100% commit to you. If she isn't madly in love with Jesus, then she'll never be madly in love with you. It's just not going to happen. Here's why I know. Because Jesus is perfect. He never sinned. He always forgives. He's a humble servant who chose to die in our place even when we didn't deserve it. Simply put, Jesus is easy to love. He's the easiest one of all that there is to love. And if we can't love him, then we're incapable of loving them. The big idea is simply this. Our ability to be in covenant with our spouse is directly connected to our desire to be in covenant with our Savior. Our ability to be in covenant with our spouse is directly connected to our desire to be in covenant with our Savior. If we're not getting that relationship right, there's no way we'll get this relationship right. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Someone came to him and said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
What Jesus was saying is that if our vertical relationship isn't intact, then our horizontal relationship won't be either. And if our horizontal relationship isn't intact, then our vertical relationship won't be either. See, when when original sin entered the picture back in the Garden of Eden, it separated God from man and it turned husband and wife against each other. That's when blame came about. Jesus said, what have you done? And what was the first thing out of Adam's mouth? Well, the woman gave me the fruit. See, that's how it happens. It separated man from God and it turned them against each other. But then Jesus went to the cross to restore those relationships. It's interesting that the cross restored the vertical relationship between man and God. And the cross restores the horizontal relationship from man to man. That's why the cross is there. And so when it comes to preparing ourselves for our future spouse, the only way is through the cross. If we want to be a better husband or a better wife or have a better marriage, the only way is through the cross. The only way for us to become the one, little o, is by chasing after the one, big O, as hard and as fast as we possibly can. It is only through Jesus that we will ever become who we have been called and chosen to be. Amen? That first starts by stepping into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. It's admitting that we're a sinner in need of a Savior and by inviting Him to become Lord of our life and making the choice to live for Him from this point forward. If you're here this morning in the room, you've never made that decision and you'd like to today, maybe you're watching with us online and you're ready to take that step, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. It's going to be on the screen if you need it. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen, amen, amen. Now, Heavenly Father, right now, I lift up our singles to you, those who are not in a covenant marriage relationship. Maybe some of them are too young, or maybe some of them just haven't found the right person yet, or... God, I I just pray for your strength upon them. Lord, I pray that you would guard their hearts against temptation and the pressures that this world has to offer. Lord, that as they walk through this process, Lord, that, that you would help them to remain pure and spotless before you, Father. Lord, that you would give them a desire to look inward and to become for themselves the one that you've called them to be so that they can be the one for their one whenever that door opens. God, I lift up our married couples 
today, those that are already in covenant relationship, Father. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would help them to turn their attention to you. Lord, that they would uh, be, be given this, the strength and the courage and the boldness to do everything that it takes, Lord, to fight for their marriage and to keep you at the center and at the forefront. God, I pray that, that in their hearts and lives today, Lord, that you would rekindle any area where love has grown cold and where they've gotten priority out of whack, Lord, where, where they've allowed condition and convenience to creep in. And instead, that you would bring them back to a place of choice, Lord, that they would look at their partner, they would look at their spouse, that they would remember that they love them because they choose to, because it's a mirror of how you have loved us. You loved us even when we didn't deserve it, because you chose to. God, I pray that we would walk in covenant relationship with you and with our spouse all the days of our life. And that the relationships from this church would, would model the relationship that you have set forth in your word. One man, one woman, one flesh for one lifetime. And that we could be a testimony of what it means to follow after Jesus and to live life his way. God, I thank you for all the things that you're doing. Lord, I thank you for how you are at work in and through the people of this church and how you're going to use us to make a difference in our community and beyond. We give you the glory and the honor, the power, and the praise. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.